Hello and welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. I am your host for today. I am John and I am joined only by Thomas today. There is no Mary on the podcast and that will become abundantly clear in a few minutes when we actually start talking about the films that we're going to talk about. So, Thomas, how the hell are you? I am very good, John. I'm very glad it's Friday. I was half tempted to crack open a can and do this podcast, but I've been to toilet every two minutes because I'm getting old and that's just what happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> These things, so I'll, I'll wait till the podcast is done and I might just get a wee bit drunk. Nice. It's always good for a Friday. I'm probably doing something fairly similar. I have a cabinet full of booze next door, which uh, is just crying out my name. Pretty much, yeah, I'll be doing something fairly similar. So, as I said, we are talking about something that Mary politely declined, shall I say. We are going to be talking about the Resident Evil series of films. Now, we're not talking about the animated series. We are talking about the live action films, which total six in all. So we will be having this podcast and a follow-up podcast that will cover three of the movies each. Now, the Resident Evil films are based on the Japanese video game franchise of the same name and they have been going now for the best part of 20 years. The first one was released in 2002. So let us start with the first one. Deep underground, in a top secret research lab, security has been breached. A deadly virus, capable of contaminating the entire world, has been released. First one is called Resident Evil. It features a character named Alice, who is not a character who featured in the games at all. She was created especially for this film series. She is played by Mila Jovovich. I hope I'm getting that right. And the series was overseen and partly directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who is also married to Mila Jovovich as well. The film starts off in Raccoon City in The Hive, which is an underground facility that is run by the Umbrella Corporation. Now, we will go into detail about what the Umbrella Corporation is and isn't uh, during the discussion, but for the moment, We'll just concentrate on the plot. Inside the facility, someone is seen stealing a compound, which turns out to be a secret organism that the Umbrella Corporation has been working on, and it turns people into zombies. As the person is leaving with a stolen compound, they deliberately throw a vial of it back into a lab, therefore infecting all the staff who are working in the hive. Now you're talking about thousands of people here. In response of this virus getting released into the environment, the AI which manages the area, which is called the Red Queen, shuts down the facility. At the same time, Alice, who is in the mansion, which is located directly above the facility, wakes up and is initially disorientated, doesn't know what's going on, and then she's assaulted by a commando assault team. And it turns out that she is actually a gatekeeper for this particular facility, and the commandos are there to try and figure out what went on in the facility and why it is locked down. And from there, they go into the facility to try and figure out just what the hell is happening. Now, that's a sort of brief overview of what the film actually is. Thomas, what are your initial thoughts on this particular movie? This is a film for me that it's aged well in terms of my thoughts and opinions on it. I was a massive fan of the Resident Evil games when they first came out. And here eventually they were going to make a movie of it. I just, my imagination ran riot with the mansion, the zombies, the tyrant. And then when the movie came out, I couldn't help but think, why did they bother? Because they changed so much of it. I just mm-hmm. didn't understand why it was tied into Resident Evil. So I had a lot of issues with it for that reason. Watching it again almost 20 years later. It's a fun movie in its own right. Mm -hmm, Definitely, yes. I watched this movie when it came out. I think I I didn't see it at the cinema. I saw it on DVD when it came out. 
and I was familiar with the game series. I think I played the first game on the PS1. So I was familiar with the whole sort of mansion setup and the fact that it was a secret facility underneath it. I didn't have the same sort of expectations as you because I thought the game was okay, but I went into it reasonably fresh. And since it was actually released in 2002, I didn't really remember an awful lot when I went back to watch it again. I just watched the whole series in the last couple of weeks just to remind me, obviously, of the first one and to get me the background on the rest of them. So I went in relatively fresh to it. And I must say, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was cracking. I liked the the cold opening of it where it was in the, the labs and it kind of set everything up. And then I did have a, a minor issue with it because, as I say, it's, the film is now 18 years old and the character of Alice is introduced in a way that you, you might not see now. People would probably object because she wakes up in the shower and she's naked apart from some strategically placed shower curtain, which I don't think is totally necessary anymore. I don't think you, you you really need something like that. But from there, it does away with that sort of whole preconception. It, it isn't a leery kind of film. She gets dressed, obviously, for a start. And basically, the whole idea behind the fact that she's just woken up and her memory's blank because there's been a nerve gas, which is a defence mechanism from the hive, that's been released and therefore she's got sort of temporary amnesia so she doesn't really know what's happening so therefore you're, you're figuring out what's going on at the same time as she is as the team comes in and they they enter the hive and they try and see what's actually going on so it even though it's not set in the mansion like the game it's set in the hive and the hive itself is treated as if it's sort of like a it's almost like a haunted house i would say because it's the same sort of dynamics that you would get. They're going into various rooms. They don't know what's there. They're doing stuff that you should really shouldn't do. Like, you know, they're not running away from certain situations. When normally, if you if you were in real life, you would go nowhere near certain doors or certain things, but they go headlong into them because, well, for plot reasons more than anything else, I think. What did you think of the setup of it? Did you enjoy how it was set up, or was it? Did you think it was a bit sort of standard? Yep. I, I liked. I liked the way it opened, and you've got this kind of mystery of Alice and Spence Parks, played by James Purefoy, and had a amnesia, and you're wondering how this is going to play out as the mystery unravels. But again, it's like right, and I, I, I didn't really feel this as much watching it a sec, watching it recently. But at the time when I first watched it, I was like, okay, where's Chris Redfield? Where's Jill Valentine? Where's Albert Wesker? Where's Barrett? Where are all these characters I know from the game? Why have they just replaced them with entirely new characters? There's a few references to, to villains here and there, but all the heroes are completely brand new. I found that an interesting take on it. And it starts off in the mansion, and you're like, oh, this is very cool. But they don't spend a lot of time there, and within minutes, they're rushed away to the underground lair. Mm-hmm. And from yep. there, it becomes... I liked it once they were there because the whole idea they're trapped and they have to get back. But then they bring in the idea of the Red Queen computer and how she's trying to kill them all to prevent the spies from escaping. And I thought these were, again, very interesting ideas of an AI thinking logically to preserve human life. It will kill the kill a few to save many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Watching it recently, I could forgive the differences to the game. But at the time when I first watched it, I was like, why you had all this stuff to it? You've got a you've got a game of a story sitting there that's more or less perfect and you're adding stuff to it that doesn't really fit, in my opinion. Like you've, you've got like tailor-made villains, why create new ones? You've got heroes already set up, why are you creating new ones? Mm-hmm. And, and I really don't want to keep going back to the game because that's about, that might be a bit unfair. But it was very, it was very standard, wasn't it? Like you're kind of your SWAT team, very stereotypical characters, you've got the, kind of the badass... You know, I was fine. Yeah, was- mm-hmm. yeah. I can understand why they they didn't go for the villains because they had been utilised so well within the games that by bringing them to screen, it could sort of diminish their impact, and it could the level. You know, there could have been accusations levelled at the the film of it was just trying to copy the game. Yeah, I can see why they were doing this. It's something slightly different. Yes, they had references to it, and without giving too much away, certain characters from the games do make appearances later on within the series and it's done in a very good way i i would say i 
did quite like the way that the film set itself up. It had the initial mystery, so therefore you're, you've got the amnesia, like I, I said before, and then when they are travelling to the hive in this sort of high-speed train link, there's a massive exposition dump, <laughs> which is just to kind of bring everybody up to speed and they, they show you certain computer graphics and stuff of that, how the hive is all set out. Now, looking back on it from the viewpoint of today, it looks a wee bit dated, you know, that kind of idea. But you can you can understand why that works at the time. I thought that was pretty good. So by getting the, the exposition out of the way and getting the sort of the layout of the, the whole facility out of the way, they could just totally get on with all the action. Now, the action itself is really good. You are seeing Alice learning how to actually utilise the skills that she has, but she has forgotten about. So it's only when she's put in certain situations, when she's facing up against zombies, for instance, that you actually see what she is actually capable of. And it's fairly impressive. It's I thought it was a really, really good performance because it's a very physical performance and there's a, a bit of dialogue and she's obviously, I wouldn't like to say a bad actor. She's not a bad actor at all. No. She's reasonably good actor but she doesn't have an awful lot to do it's a lot of just sort of one lines here and there and it's left to everyone around her to actually do most of the the, the talking and you know like sort of pushing the story forward she really just is there for a sort of action part of it i thought but i thought it worked pretty well and i mean you're talking about an hour and 40 minutes here so it doesn't hang about at all so you're thrust right into it so there's never really any lulls where they had to do bits of extra exposition or anything like that because they basically just got it all out of the way and everything else was just them trying to get to the heart of the mystery and then obviously try to get out of the hive at the same time i particularly like the fact that the ai was a, a young girl because that's quite a nice horror trope having someone who's small and innocent, yet the way she speaks in this sort of monotone and says, you're all going to die down here is, is really kind of frightening and kind of creepy. And that worked particularly well. I really, really enjoyed that. So obviously there is an awful lot of action and stuff like that in here. Did you enjoy a lot of that or was it fairly, fairly pat stuff that you'd seen so many times before and since? Both. Both to be fair, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it was fine. I mean, the action was it, it did its job. Yeah, uh, I, I liked the the score as well. Look at the the rock score. I think it was Marlon Manson did it, and it was just a fun kind of. It was very video game action. There's not much consequences oh, yeah. to the violence really at times, and that's fine for the kind of film it is. And sometimes you just need something like that, and mm -hmm. it, it works within the context of the rules the film is set up. So I was quite cool with that. It did remind me at times of Aliens, but a more polished version, especially the idea yes. of SWAT team kind of aping the Marines in a way. The horror elements of the film I found very sanitised. Again, that's not really a criticism. It was just more of an action film as opposed yes. to something that was supposed to scare you. But yeah, I thought, I thought the violence was, uh, the action was fine. It was, I think I've spoken about some previous podcasts, it was that fun violence. It's not mm -hmm. supposed to shock you, not supposed to make you wince or anything. It's just supposed to, supposed to make you munch your popcorn and say, cool. And it did the job for me in that aspect. It wasn't boring. Yeah, the zombies themselves were a bit okay. They were, they were fine. They were, they were okay. They kind of followed a sort of standard pattern of what you ex expect from these elements within films. I thought it was a, a nice touch that all the employees within the hive of the Umbrella Corporation were all wearing various grey combinations. So it was all grey suits and skirts and overalls and stuff like that. So when you saw the zombies themselves and all the colour had obviously been drained from them, they all they looked very uniform. So therefore the, it, it, it fitted really nicely in with that whole aesthetic of them being sort of grey drones and then there's these grey drones without any self-control and all they were out for was, well, basically feeding now that was a, a nice element to it as well because they, they didn't explain an awful lot about the the background there was obviously a, a little work done with regards to the what the t-virus was and things like that but they didn't go to, into like a whole lot of detail about it it was basically saying 
This is T-virus. This is what it does to people or what it does to everybody, basically. So I kind of like that. I thought it was it was good. I Again, yeah, I, I liked the, the use of music on it. It, it mixed it up a wee bit. There was a, a bit of sort of dance stuff in there as well, as the Marilyn Manson stuff, which obviously was used in certain fight scenes and things like that. The, what was your sort of favourite scene from it? I know what mine was, but I was wondering if you have anything that you thought particularly stood out. It's, it's got a bit of laser scene. Exactly. I was going to say that as well, yeah. It worked really well, didn't it? Yeah, I love that scene, and I always remember it. And I don't want to go into too much spoiler territory regarding it for people that haven't maybe seen the film, but I always remember seeing this scene in the trailer and thinking to myself, how are they going to get out of that? And then when I watched the film, I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that was a cracking scene. It was really good. It just kind of took me by surprise, even though in, in, in context of known from the trailer. Yeah. But it was very well done. It was quite exciting. It was quite action packed, and it was it was quite shocking as well. Mm-hmm. I also liked the introduce introduction of the dogs as well. Obviously, any secure setup will usually have some sort of canine support, and it was no different here. And it was a nice touch that they were as infected by the T virus as anything. So you got these dogs who were basically zombie attack dogs, if you like. Yeah. And they, they were brilliant. They looked really, really good. And they were really, really scary as well. Just because, the I mean, I think it was, was the Dobermans they were. And they just, they're quite aggressive dog, aggressive looking dogs anyway. But they just really fitted the bill here. They, they looked particularly good, which was nice. It's always good as well to, I, I'll go back to the Red Queen. She had an English voice, so once again, you've got an English baddie <laughs> <laughs> overseeing everything as well. It just needs to be done. And regarding the Red Queen there, is, the, the film is not subtle in it. It's Lewis Carroll. Um, no. <laughs> comparisons. No, not at all, yeah. As a stand, as, as a movie in its own right, the whole Red Queen, like I said, the AI stuff, I did like. It was just... My initial viewing of it was difficult to not compare it to the game. And especially after hearing that George Romero had written a script for it, it was very mm-hmm. faithful to the original game. And you're thinking to yourself, why would you pass on a George Romero zombie script? But hey, they did. So that was basically the first film. We're obviously not speaking about spoilers in any way, but it's difficult to avoid when your main character pops up in the second film. So <laughs> it's one of these things that you're, you're going to have to accept it. Dear listeners, that we will be going into slight spoiler territory. We'll try and avoid it as much as possible, but just the fact that there are six movies in the series, there's going to be certain elements that will pop up. Yeah. So... But like I did say, to be fair, I mean, there is some elements in the next film, for example, we're going to mention stuff that may, might spoil the ending of the first one. Mm-hmm. But get to the second part of the podcast specifically, it won't matter because there's such gaping plot holes between movies and no continuity. Yes. It's actually difficult to spoil. So, anyway. That is true, yeah. So, with regards to Resident Evil, the 2002 movie, would you recommend it? I would. It, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a nice kind of action. I would say sanitised horror. It's, I don't know if any film scary for the most part, although some fairly uh, frightening scenes, I would say, especially with the dogs, and that laser scene was, was really cool. It's got a likeable cast. I love Mila Jovovich. I'm a big fan of Michelle Rodriguez. Obviously, with James Purefoy. It was just bizarre with an American accent, but you know, I think he's really mm-hmm. underrated. And Colin Salmon who I'm a big fan of, seen much of his TV work, especially big fan of his character in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a particularly good actor. I've seen him in a few things. I think he's, he's been in Bond and all sorts of things, so he's got about, which is always interesting. I would recommend this film as well. I really enjoyed it. I liked the fact that it was pretty much non-stop action. It was a bit daft. It had a couple of scares, which always is good and I just like the whole setup of it, the way that it was all lab set mostly so it was all this sort of pale blue lighting everywhere, it was just it was a lovely tone to it and it was just a, it was a an enjoyable watch without being overly scary, there wasn't too many jumps in it, there was a few but 
not so much that you are, well, I mean, we've spoken about this in the past, not so much that you kind of are waiting for the next one and waiting for the one after that and the one after that. I didn't really telegraph them in that sort of way. So, But yes, I, I would definitely recommend this one. I had a great time watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's that with Paul, Tom, uh, Paul Thomas, Anderson, sorry, Paul W.S. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Does get hard. He's he's never really talking a lot of people's favorite film, favorite film directors. Mm-hmm. I do like the Mortal Kombat film. <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's terrible, but I love it. And this is a decent film in its own right as well. Yeah. Video game adaptations are, tend to be difficult. This is a decent film. Yeah, I also believe James Cameron calls it one of his guilty pleasures. Yeah, so, I can understand that. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Moving on then to the follow-up film Resident Evil Apocalypse from 2004. In the pursuit of human perfection, accidents will happen. There's been an incident. How bad is it? We're reopening the hive. I want to know what went on down there. Sir, there's something in here. Now, this film was directed by Alexander Witt and it was written by Paul W.S. Anderson. He was initially going to direct this film, but there were certain scheduling conflicts which meant he couldn't do it. He was directing Alien vs. Predator at the time and couldn't get rid of that commitment in order to make this film. I don't know who's better off here, to be perfectly honest. So, as I say, this is a direct follow-up, and when I mean a direct follow-up, the action starts almost as soon. Well, in fact, it it starts just before the first film ends, which is, well, I, I, I can't really get around it. Alice has escaped from the underground facility, which was overrun by zombies. She now is banding together with other survivors of the city because the city has now been overrun even though the hive was supposed to have been sealed in the previous episode so something else has happened. She bands together with survivors from the city which include the character of Jill Valentine from the games and it's basically uh, an escape from the city type of film so the the entire city is sealed off by the umbrella corporation the only way in and out is via uh i think it's a bridge and there's well the, you see diagrams and there's a, a massive wall that surrounds the outside of the city so therefore nobody can get out so there's one way in and there's one way out and they are trying to get out of the city now this is further complicated by the fact that there is a super weapon which has been developed by the Umbrella Corporation called Nemesis, which is in fact a super mutated human which was created in the lab just after the events of the first film. In fact, it was a character that was involved in the first film and I'm obviously not saying any more about that. But at the same time, Alice was experimented on, so therefore she has certain powers that she didn't really know that she had before, and it changes her and it makes her into a slightly different person. Now, this film got a bit of a critical panning, and it was made on a $45 million budget and made over $130 million despite being critically lambasted. What did you think about this one? Uh, I, I took me a while to see this movie originally. It came out in 2004. I think it was about 2007 I watched it. Mm-hmm. We, me and my mate were sitting one night and we were discussing, funnily enough, Alien vs Predator. I was saying I genuinely believed at the time it was the worst movie I had ever seen. Okay. He said to me, have you seen Resident Evil Apocalypse? <laughs> I said no. And he put it on. And although I disagreed that it was worse than Alien vs Predator, I understood mm-hmm. where he was coming from. Uh, yeah. I hadn't seen it since. I hadn't seen it since. This is all ten years ago. I watched it again like, last week, the week before. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's awful. Okay, okay. <laughs> I I've got a slightly different opinion to it because I actually really enjoyed this film. I I liked the fact that it was a sort of an escape from New York 
type of deal here. So the city is totally cut off. Now, the film itself is, is very little apart from the characters to do with the first film. It's a pretty, mo- pretty much all-out action film. There, uh, <laughs> I, I think it is pretty cheesy, the, the way certain characters are introduced. There is a, an ex-Umbrella Corpse I think he's a soldier. He's called Oliveira, and he's introduced in this most spectacular way, <laughs> which is completely over the top. But uh, I was I was laughing when I was watching it, so I really enjoyed it. And there are I can understand why people say that this is a terrible film, but I I, I loved it. I just thought it was just let's it was just, really fantastic. Let's just see how he's introduced. He jumps from a helicopter while repelling at great speed and shooting twin pistols. At zombies yep. on a rooftop, and I was also laughing at this. And as much as I don't like this film, I did enjoy that scene because it's just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it also looks terrible. It looks awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you in any way about how bad it looks. Yes, and also that this film also introduces that obviously the the sort of the soldiering element of it. So you've You've got the Special Tactics and Rescue Squad, the Stars Squad, which featured quite heavily in the games. And they feature here, obviously, you've got like so Jill Valentine, who, and it's almost like a cop thing as well. That Her introduction is brilliant also because she, uh, I think she's sitting at home drinking and there's th- things up on her wall saying that she's been kicked out of the police for... I think it's excessive violence and stuff like that. And then she goes into the precinct just, and it's obviously just after the outbreak. And the first thing she does is she shoots somebody in the head. (laughs) And then all the cops, they go, oh, you know, you know, firing guns and all that. And then they turn and go, oh, it's just Jill. It's okay. It's fine. (laughs) And they'll just put their guns away. (laughs) I mean, it's funny because my, my main criticism in the first film when I watched it was how different it was from the games. And it was almost like Paul Anderson this time just try to put everything from the games, including the kitchen sink in it, to the point that it didn't work because of it. Jill Valentine kicking about, she looked exactly like she did in the game, which was great, but it didn't make any sense why she was dressed like that. No, no, it didn't make any sense at all. I thought her character as well was a bit too close to the Alice character. They had sort of similar skill sets and they had sort of similar motivations. The Jill Valentine character was a, a lot more expressive in what she was doing, but they, they were very, very similar. Yeah. Now, obviously, the, the there, there is another plot element to this as well. When the Umbrella Corp staff were all evacuated from the city when the outbreak happened, one of the scientists who's played by Jared Harris is separated from his daughter and she is hidden in a school, and he manages to track down Alice and her merry band and offer them a deal, saying, if you can find my daughter and take her out, then you will come out with her and you'll all be safe and all that. So that was part of the motivation for them staying within the city. And then there was a a time limit on it as well because the Umbrella Corp had decided, well, the only way that we're going to hide the problems that have come up here is by basically nuking the city because then we'll wipe out all evidence of, of anything actually happening. So you had this, you know, you have to get out of the city before. It's always daybreak for some goddamn reason. It's always daybreak. It's never, you know, like 11 o'clock or something. They always say, oh, yeah, you go out of the city before the sun comes up. And you say, but that changes every day. Can you not just tell me a time, you know? So, so there was that whole thing about it, which was a bit weird and cheesy. And of course, the Jared Harris character, he's in a wheelchair as well, just to add to the sort of the whole mad scientist bit of it as well. So that that was a wee bit weird. And now, from what I'm saying here, it, it sounds as if I'm slagging this film off, but honestly, I'm not. I, I just, no matter how many stupid plot turns and twists there were, I was kind of like, yeah, 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 I'll go with that. That's fine. Doesn't doesn't particularly bother me. But then the sort of pièce de résistance was the introduction of <laughs> Nemesis, <laughs> which is just... <laughs> uh, yeah, when you talk about throwing everything into a film, I think they threw everything into this sort of character design because there was bits and pieces all over it and 
Gary is like about seven and a half foot tall and about seven and a half foot wide as well. And he carried the most impractical weapons as well. Is like this massive machine gun that takes about a minute and a half to spin up. It's like one of these Gatlin guns. So, I mean, they could be standing about them not doing anything for ages while they're going, before they actually start shooting. And it's like big axes and all sorts of stuff like that. Oh, man. I mean, and that's, that's my thing when I was saying, like, if it was at Paul Anderson's, like, right, I got a lot of criticism for not including too many, including enough characters for the game in the first one. So I'm going to just shove it down your throat and teach you the lesson. It's basically like he's caught his kids smoking, so he's going to make him smoke the whole pack. <laughs> he introduces stars. He's got Oded Fairplane, Oliveira, as you mentioned, he comes out in the games. With Jill Valentine, you've got Nemesis. It's just, it just shoves all this stuff down your throat. The game's even quite similar to Resident Evil 2 and 3 in terms of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, Jill Valentine is dressed identically as she is in the game and, and the third one I may add it, it, she looks like a cartoon character yes yeah, uh, there's similarities there uh, to sort of Lara Croft style shorts and vest top isn't there, there's yeah. elements of that as well and <laughs> it's just I, I, I don't I mean, would I watch it again if I was watching all the films probably but it's just, I don't think it's a good film. And it's, it's got its moments of entertainment for Total Cheese Factor. But in many ways, this this looks to me like a directed DVD sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have, obviously, there is, well, when you, you introduce a character like Nemesis, you know there is going to be a big dramatic finish, which is going to be a big showdown as well. There's, it's always going to be the case, and this film doesn't disappoint in that regard either. It does happen in a very big way. There is a massive big shootout and lots of explosions. I mean, for a city that's in ruins, there's an awful lot of stuff lying about that's quite explosive and it can cause fires and stuff like that, which obviously, you know, it's done because it's a film. But yeah, I thought it, it did go particularly over the top. But again, wasn't disappointed with it. The, the only thing I was kind of disappointed with was some of the dialogue. The dialogue was particularly <laughs> cheesy. I, I noted down one. It was uh, Oliveira when yeah. they were in a hospital. In a hospital, and stuff got dropped, and he says, "Oh, the stuff that got dropped in a hospital is if <laughs> you're supposed to go, you're supposed to not have actually seen that on screen about thirty seconds earlier." Which, uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's a few sort of dodgy one-liners. Now, obviously. The character of Alice is developed slightly in this film. She has more to do, if you like, dramatically as well as action-wise. The action, as far as uh, she's concerned, is really good because she's now obviously enhanced. So there's a a bit of wire work involved. And some of the stunts on her are actually really, really good. She comes across really well and she can handle herself particularly well. But yeah, I can I can understand your... Uh, reticence with regards to this film. I really can. I mean, it's got the kind of things that if, if presented better, I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got that kind of cheese fact and that over-the-top craziness that I do like in films. If done well, I just don't think this is for the most part. And I almost kind of feel you can tell that the director, uh, sorry, Paul Anderson and Mila Jovovich got together after the first one because, as you say, she got a lot more doing this. Mm-hmm. She got a lot more lines, a lot more focus on her. And now she's a superhero. Yeah, yeah, it um, does. It does play like that. Yeah, I don't really mind the idea that she kind of got some kind of hands powers and that because yeah, it gives them more of a fighting chance against all these like souped up T virus infected monsters. Mm-hmm. And just going back to Jared Harris quickly is Doctor Ashford. He's English. Yeah, mad scientist. Why not? <laughs> Ian Glenn is a bad Doctor Isaac. Doctor Isaac's he's Scottish. Close enough. Put him as a bad guy. Yeah. I liked his introduction to it. I thought that was uh, nicely done because Ian Glenn can play a bad guy particularly well. So I was quite pleased. And I had gone into this completely blind. I didn't know who was involved in it or anything before I watched it. So his introduction was a, a bit of a, a shock. And I thought, oh, well, this, this could be good. And that's kind of something that I've taken forward from there as well. So I didn't, you know, I went into each of them cold. I hadn't read any synopsis or anything like that. There were a few horror 
standard horror tropes here. There were scenes in a church, in a school, and in a hospital, which are three prime locations for <laughs> horror films. <laughs> like you say, it's like sort of kitchen sink stuff, isn't it? They're throwing everything at it. And they also introduced the the zombies very early on. There's obviously no point in holding them back now because they had been revealed in the first film, so therefore you knew what to expect. And they were of a similar sort of nature as in the first film. They were fairly sort of standard zombies. It's, it's based pretty much the, the best way to describe them, I think, you know. It's, so they were almost incidental, weren't they, really, to what's going on? Yeah, pretty much in the way that they were in the, in the game. To, as, as you go further on in the games, the, the zombies became like the, the main bad guys at the start to just background bad guys at the end where you're just taking them out left, right, and center. They weren't even really an issue. They were more, an, they were more a hindrance than an mm -hmm. absolute obstacle. But I, the, the zombies were kind of like a hindrance more so. And that, that didn't really bother me because obviously the, mo the main villain was Nemesis. Mm -hmm. And yes. the idea that obviously there's loads of zombies there's also a lot of commandos and army in this film, and you've got Alice, who's now got superpowers. The zombies shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be difficult. And her reintroduction in the church scene is insane. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely insane. But also, I couldn't help but think that watching this, I don't know if the director's trying to be tongue-in-cheek with some of the action. I almost feel like he's trying to do something quite cool. Mm -hmm. unique but instead it just comes across sounds really harsh but laughable yeah there's a, a certain amount of ambition with yeah. this film obviously it's got a bit of sequelitis in that they wanted to do things bigger they wanted to expand things and they wanted to make it look more expansive and more shocking and bigger action scenes and like say that I think the, the ambition outweighed the, the sort of practicalities of the actual film. So, yeah, it does look a wee bit daft, a wee bit laughable at certain elements, which, yeah, it's, it's not it's not, it's not not to the film's credit, shall we say, but it, it, the, the, I think they get away with it because, well, for myself, there was enough goodwill built up from the first one that I, I went into this and thought, yeah, okay, it's cheesy, it's action-filled. And like I say, there, there are very few consequences, again, when... People are dying left, right, and centre, and it's just almost accepted. Yeah, now, yeah. I, 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 I don't have a director as well, because this is a bit of a, a, a cruel thing to say. This was his first feature. He's not known as being a director. He works like second unit cinematography and things like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting choice to give an inexperienced filmmaker, or an inexperienced director to be specific, the reins of a sequel of a highly successful film that's got a potential to be a franchise. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was really fair. Uh, I don't think I'd a lot to work with either. Some of the performances in this are terrible, and you also you mentioned some of the dialogue in that before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I want, to put the direct, I want to put the director in context a little because I was a bit harsh with a laughable comment, but, yeah, you were right yeah. some that was a bit ambitious. Yes, I, I think it kind of suffered from the fact that, obviously, that, Paul W.S. Anderson was still heavily involved, but he wasn't totally in charge. He wasn't directing the film. They obviously did bring Alexander Witt in in order to do that and it might have been a bit of a poison chalice for him for him to to be to be blunt. Yeah, I, I, I quite like Old Dead Fair. I've seen him in the Mummy films and I think he's quite good. He is shockingly mm -hmm. bad in this. Yeah. Aye. Yeah. It's it's I, I think that's more of the character more than anything else. There's, yeah. there's very, there's sometimes there's very little you can actually do, especially if they've been told that this is what you have to do for a particular character. And so I take it you wouldn't recommend this movie then, or would you? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I could recommend it because even when we get to the next one, I think you could skip this one completely and not even notice in terms of storyline. But I just want to want to mention quickly before we move on. Did you get the impression from this film that Ashford's daughter, Angie, was based on the red was what the Red Queen was based on? Yes, yes. absolutely, because she had the same type of voice and the same hair and everything. Yes. I thought okay. it was a physical manifestation of that. We return to that at a later date then. But yes, we'll just mention it for now. Yeah, I think they they were maybe looking at a possible 
plot development there, which, like you say, we shall return to that in later instalments. I would, for all its faults, I would recommend this film just because it's it's a lot of fun. It is a bit cheesy, as we have both said, but I got quite a lot out of it in terms of the the, the main performances and the action. I, I did quite like a lot of the stuff that was going on on screen, even if it was a bit daft, really, towards, <laughs> towards the end of it. Now, the very end of it sets up uh, a follow-up, if you like. There are certain things that happen at the very end of the film. That was another thing. Before we go on, the, the film seemed to end after about an hour and a quarter. And it was almost like that was a point where you could legitimately have ended that film without anything else. And then there was an extra 15 minutes, which really almost was like, this is, I don't know if it was almost like an, an extended end scene, if you like, you know, uh, something you would put in the credits, something like that, because it basically was almost like a different story. It moved on quite significantly in terms of what was actually going on and everything. Now, obviously, I'm skirting around what actually happened, but at the end, the very end of the film, it sets things up very nicely for something to happen directly on after that and we will get to that in just a moment so yeah no i, I would agree with you you're right because it almost felt like a different film there the mm -hmm. last 50 minutes and it was it felt like a short film to bridge yes. the gap between both of them yeah so we move on then to the third film in the series which came in 2007 third film is titled resident evil extinction my senses have detected Alice. Her powers appear to have grown at a geometric rate. I can have a strike team ready within the hour. Everyone is scared. Good thing we like a challenge. Make sure she's dead. I'm coming for you. We fought the infection. We survived the apocalypse. And now, we face extinction. Again, written by Paul W.S. Anderson. It has... Mila Jovovich returning. We've got Odir Fair returning as Oliveira. We have Ian Glenn returning as well as the big bad this time. And we have various other people who, some, I think it's Claire who is in this film. I think she starts in this and she is actually quite a heavily used character within the game series. Now, this film, again, was not directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. It was Russell Mulcahy of Highlander fame, I believe, who directed this film. But don't let that put you off the film. <laughs> yeah, we had this view of Highlander. Yes, yeah. And I have written about what my views on Highlander are on the website if you want to go and have a look at that. Just John, need to search for the Highlander review. John's views on Highlander do not represent those of Movie Scramble. And it's <laughs> Yes, pretty much. So, as I said, the second film set up very nicely, uh, almost a direct follow-up. So, what they do here is the third film follows on about six months after, or even longer, actually, than the first film. And everyone that she has, Alice has been teaming up with is now scattered to the winds. She is off on her own, and... The, the team are off as part of a convoy who are basically trying to outrun the zombies. Now, the background to this one is that despite the Umbrella Corporation's best efforts, the T-virus has spread worldwide and society as we know it has basically ceased to function. Now, um, <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I... I, I obviously had to compare it with uh, what we're going on today, except uh, instead of us being mindless zombies, we're all just getting slightly fatter sitting in the house. But, you know, you know, you get the idea. The film actually has a pretty nice cold opening. You get almost a reprise of the first film where Alice wakes up in the shower in the mansion and starts to wander through the mansion she is immediately faced with a zombie which kills her. It then transpires that this 
actually isn't Alice at all. It is actually a clone of Alice. And we get to see this in all its glory because the clone is then taken out of what we believe to be the mansion and it's actually just a simulation and taken above ground into the Nevada desert and dumped in a pit with about another 60 clones of the same Alice. What we have here is another Umbrella Corporation facility which is hidden underground, as I said, this time in the desert. Now, Alice has been wondering for some time because she knows that it's best to keep on the road and to basically keep off the grid. But circumstances conspire to bring her into contact with the, the convoy that Oliveira is part of. And from there, Ian Glenn's doctor, is it Asher, I believe, uh, he finds Alice Prime, if you like, and basically wants to get her back. And from there, all the action starts to happen. What did you think of this one, Mr. Simpson? So have you filmed Ian Glenn's character there? Yes, I was. Dr. Isaacs? Of course it is. Yeah. Ian Glenn's character, Dr. Isaacs. Now, I read somewhere about the actual naming of the character, and I don't know if it's true. In yeah. the first film, it was Jason Isaacs, who was an unnamed doctor. He was a slight partner, yeah, and he was supposed to play the sort of the main bad doctor, but for so so many different reasons, he was unable to do it, and he was actually named Doctor Isaacs after him because obviously him and uh, Paul W. Sanderson have a bit of history. He was in Event Horizon, and I believe they they are friends in real life as well. I'm not entirely sure about the the truth behind that, but that's what I read. So. It would make yeah. sense as well because you've got Do Dr. Birkin, uh, Jason Isaacs plays Dr. Birkin briefly in the first one. Dr. Birkin being the main villain from the game. Mm -hmm. uh, you could have even just had Ian Glenn playing Dr. Birkin, but instead have this little homage. Yeah. Jason Isaacs. Yeah. Um, it's quite clever, actually. It's quite clever when you, when you think about it and you're saying you don't know if it's if it can be true or not, but it, it makes sense to me. It's believable in that way. Yeah. It's too much of a coincidence. Yeah. So, what did you think of this film? I actually quite enjoyed this film. My big issue with it is more to do with how the second one ended. And mm -hmm. this was five years after. It's, I don't think it's explicitly mentioned in the script, but it's hinted that. I think the novelization mentions it. Earlier drafts of the script do mention it. Wasn't Mum's five years, so the film ends in a cliffhanger. And then we fast mm -hmm. forward into the future. And for me, that renders the end of the second film pointless. Yes. Because I watched these films back to back and I'm like, oh, it's interesting. And recently, as I haven't seen them for years, but I forgot how the third, the third one started. And it starts, and I'm like, okay, how did they get, okay, how did we get from Raccoon City being taken over to Las Vegas being covered in sand? And <laughs> why is Oliveira kicking about? Oh, there's Claire Redfield, but where's Jill? Where's, where's the little girl? Where's Angie? It's like, what's, there, was a, there was a bit of a stretch in terms of the, the script. And I know these kind of films come and say, oh, yeah, you can just ignore stuff and blah, blah. It's not about plot points. It's taking piss a wee bit when you just mm -hmm. jump five years out of the future and ignore loads of stuff in between. Yep. Other than that, I did like the film, though. I did quite enjoy it. Um, I liked the style of it, the fact that it was set in the desert and everything was in daylight for the most part. I had a real different look to the film that the other two didn't have because obviously set most of the night you're underground. Yep. Yeah, enjoyed this. Yeah, the film had a real Mad Max kind of vibe to it. Not so much the first one, but more Thunderdome yeah. kind of thing because it was very desert set and there was a lot of emphasis put on the fact that they're always searching for fuel and everything like that. There was a, a nice element introduced to the film that as well as the human population and obviously the canine population being affected, there was everything, any sort of animal life could be a threat and it was used particularly well in the form of birds. In this film, obviously a nice wee callback to Alfred Hitchcock's birds as well during a scene when you've got all these crows lined up on telephone poles and in all the wires and everything around where they're, they're camped out. 
which was really nicely done and the, the the attack thereafter was fairly brutal and everything so I thought that was quite a nice touch to it. I liked that scene. That was that was pretty cool. And it was quite uh, quite unnerving because the crows looked quite menacing for the most part, especially the mm-hmm. close ups. Yeah. What did you think about the character of Alice in this film as compared to the previous two? Uh, when I, f- I first heard about Alice, the fact that she would have more enhanced powers mm-hmm. in paper, I was like, okay, she can move. She's got telekinesis now. That was hinted at at the end of the second film. But she can move stuff of her mind. She can use it to advantage. I was like, yeah, I wasn't sure. But I thought it worked okay in the context of the film because it didn't come across as silly as I thought it would have. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was it was reasonably well done, the fact that she had her senses were heightened in a way that she could tell that she was being tracked, especially by like satellites and stuff like that. And I I felt that the the action scenes that she was involved in were far better than the second film. There was a, an awful lot of mixed martial arts and various things like that. And, and it was quite spectacular, some of the stuff that she was doing in terms of the, the acting. You could tell that there, there had been a hell of a lot of training involved because it was her doing a lot of the action scenes. It, they pulled it back sort of to like mid shots. So you were seeing her actually doing a lot of the stuff. It wasn't like a, like for instance, in the the MCU films, all the Black Widow stuff. Any time that she's fighting or anything, her hair's all over her face, so you can't actually see who it is. And it saves them money having to sort of transplant uh, Scarlett Johansson's yeah. face. So there wasn't that sort of element to it. You can tell that, that the work was actually put in, and she was fairly committed to it. Apparently, she was doing like six hours a day of training towards the role. She she really really went for it because she knew it was going to be totally physically demanding and I think it kind of showed on screen with her performance. So obviously this film kind of followed a similar sort of pattern to the previous ones. There was a, an initial setup and then there was sort of a big build-up towards a, a final battle if you like. Obviously this one was set mostly during the daytime as well but it was a kind of a nice wee insight along the way into like how society had broken down and how the people who w- had survived were coping. There was a, a nice scene where Alice received a distress call and responded to it only to find out it was a, a bit of a trap. Now that was a particularly good scene because of the way that it was set out and how she was able to handle herself because you didn't really know how it was going to go. It was still quite early in the film, so therefore you didn't know so much about her enhanced powers and how they developed in the time that she'd been out there on her own. But obviously she'd, she must have been doing something because she'd obviously, as you say, she'd been around for about five years and still survived, so therefore she must have built up a certain skill set. You didn't know what, so getting to see that on screen, and I was also getting to see just how society had broken down as well. I thought that was kind of a nice touch because it it thought more about the world than just the the zombies and the Umbrella Corporation. Because in fact, the Umbrella Corporation wasn't in it a whole lot. It was mostly based around Doctor Isaacs mm-hmm. rather than anything else. He was obviously the the main baddie, and he was the guy that was sort of there and running things, you know. So there wasn't the sort of the, the global corporation or anything. I was quite contained, which I, I kind of liked. I did like the fact that the Umbrella Corporation were centred more as the main villains as a, mm. as a as a company because it was, it was cliched, the idea of this New World Order type corporate structure, but it worked for me. Yep. I liked it. Yep. I really did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was... <laughs> I'm going to mention something. You're talking about the idea like Alice been gone for five years. And like I say, I, I think the the continuation between the second film and this is a bit lazy in terms of the plot. Mm-hmm. And Angie just seems to be written out of it. In the original script, she's killed by Umbrella soldiers, which I find is quite dark considering how young she is. <laughs> and in the novelization, Alice went under the control of Umbrella kills her, which is even darker, considering she had a mother-type relationship with her in the first one, which is very, very, again, similar to Aliens with the whole Ripley and new type idea. Mm-hmm. In this film, yeah. you've got the character of Kmart, 
Now, if you take Angie for the first film and came out from this one, five years have passed, you could have easily made that the same character. Oh, yeah, definitely, yes. I would just she was it. quite a nice character and everything as well. You know, um, She was one of the more normal people, even though she'd been like on the run for five years and everything. So, yeah, I could, I could see that happening, yeah. Mm, yes, it's fairly interesting. What did you think uh, about the sort of the the big finale in this one? Did it live up to the build-up of it, or was it just kind of more of the same for you? Yeah, for me, it was pretty much more of the same for me. I enjoy this movie. But overall, I thought it was a mm-hmm. big improvement for the, third, uh, for the second one. I didn't think it was as fun as the first one, but it did feel like it was spinning its wheels a little towards the end. And I thought the kind of yeah. third act was just like, right, here we go again type thing, mm-hmm. which would have been fine if I found it interesting enough, exciting. But I found it quite bland. A bit of a rehash from the second film, but not <laughs> bizarrely enough, not done as well. Yes, uh, there were certain elements of the, the second film that played out again. Uh, there was a, obviously a confrontation in the third act, which was reasonably similar to the second act. What you did also get in the third act was the introduction of Albert Wesker, who is one of the chairman of the Umbrella Corporation and obviously a big baddie, which again opens out the the whole story because if you're you're bringing a character like that and then there's so many elements you can add to it and everything. Now, he looked like a computer-generated character he had slick back blonde hair, he wore a black suit and he wore shades. <laughs> and he just it, it just came across in that way. I don't know about how deliberate that was, but it, it came across like he was almost like an animated character here. Wasn't the best of performances, shall we say. <laughs> it, it did come across as being a little wooden. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I really liked the fact that they brought Hobbit Wesker into the films. He's a great villain. In the games, or although in the in the in the, the first game, him being a villain turns out to be a bit of a twist. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> the I mean, the, the acting for the the first game specifically is notoriously bad. I don't know if you know about it, but I'll send you a clip. It's oh, shock, please, yeah, it's shockingly bad the acting for the first game. When Albert Wesker committed this, it was that kind of wooden way. I first thought was is he trying to maybe make him the way that he was in the game, or was it just a bad performance? I couldn't really tell. Um, but yeah, he looked very cartoonish and very faithful to his original graphic counterpart. But it was fun to see him because he's a very important character to the the game franchise. It was a lot of fun seeing him uh, on screen. Again, with this film, it had a, a very good ending, very good sort of final scenes, which... I, I, it was exploited in further films, and it it, it kind of set things up for basically the rest of the franchise. There was certain elements into it, which had been introduced at the start of the film. The fact that they had cloning technology, they were cloning Alice, so therefore that was all brought up again towards the end of the film. And I thought that was uh, really really good. Now, I'm I'm always wary of giving praise for a film which has been just okay and then the last 10 minutes are brilliant because that's why a lot of these films are designed in that sort of way so you can say oh that was a great ending you know I'm really looking forward to the next one even and you just sort of blank out the previous 80 minutes or whatever but I think there was enough there to justify that that ending worked in terms of the film I I thought it was it was good and it was a, a very clever way to set things up because I could really see that this franchise could have run out of steam after three or four films, but this gave it a certain longevity beyond that because of the ending. And I, I know I'm not saying exactly what it is. You will know what it is, obviously, Thomas, and anybody that's actually seen the film will know what it is. But did you think that was a, a good ending yourself or was it just another sort of false dawn <laughs> as far as Resident Evil endings go? It was very much a false dawn for me. The idea of the clones, as you mentioned, didn't really bother me. How it plays out in sequels, I just thought was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Knowing that, 
I, I can I can only judge the end of this film based on what comes after it, and I just think it's pretty poor. Mm, yeah, and, and lazy totally writing. Understand that. And very lazy writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, it's a convenient way to fall back on certain things uh, that happen, and you, there's certain things you can easily explain because of that, and it, it does make it a little lazy going forward. But with regards to this film. Would you recommend this? Now, at the moment, you are recommend one, not recommending the second one. What about the third film? Yeah, I would recommend this. I think this film's pretty decent. It's a huge improvement from the second one. Uh, I like how Ali Larter's good. I actually get to play uh, Claire Redfield. Oh, it's fair. It's a bit better than this. It's Carlos. He's, he's not going to win any awards. Um, <laughs> the Oscars or anything. But yeah, I think his performance is a lot better than this. And maybe that's doing the material he's got. And you could just skip over the second one if you wanted to. I mean, if you're going to watch them, you're going to watch them all, let's be honest. You're not going to start skipping films. But I think my biggest issue with this was the fact that how the second one ends, and you're like, oh, where's this going to go? Turns out nowhere because they just ignore it and jump yeah. five years into the future and pick up a completely different plot point. Mm-hmm. So, other than that aspect of it, and the fact that I'm starting to get sick of the, the wee blurbs at the start of each film it's like just let us watch it um yeah i i hadn't mentioned that before but not so much i don't think it happens in the first one but sort of subsequent films you get does it happen in the first one as well you get alice saying i'm a former employee of the umbrella corporation and giving a wee blurb which is pretty much the same i can't even remember but the as it's a prologue text and it's just like a whole kind of build up to it i'm like just show me don't tell me and I get what these films are saying. Well, if you're not seeing the other films, then you're like a kind of background to jog your memory. I'm like, yeah, but you could you could tell me anything at this point, and mm-hmm. which I don't want to get too much details later on. But they do that in some of the sequels. They start just changing shit and <laughs> they try to gaslight you. <laughs> true, true. Despite that, I did enjoy this film and I would recommend it because it, it forms quite a nice trilogy. To be honest, I, I like the way that it kind of flowed through. Yes, there there was the disappointment of not following through directly from the second one, but I soon forgave that as soon as the, the action started in the, in the third film. So, yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh, I would recommend it as a, a nice wee three-parter. The films themselves are only 90 minutes long at a time. They, they do not hang about. They do not get particularly flabby in terms of the film itself, which is always a nice thing. So, yeah, I would go for those quite quite happily. Yeah, and there's some, there's some other parallels in this film that I've actually realised the first three movies have parallels, in my opinion anyway, to the first three Dead, Romero's Dead trilogy. And the first mm-hmm. one is the ground, Night of the Living Dead, set in the house. It's very contained Second one takes you out to the city, and then the third one in both movies is a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah, that theme doesn't really continue going forward. But yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting mirroring between the three. Yes, no, that's, a, that's a good show. Yeah. Okay, so that is us covered the first three films of the Resident Evil series. On the next podcast, in this. Franchise covering event. We will be covering four, five, and six. And I suspect neither of us will have as many kind words to say <laughs> about the films. But that is for another day, obviously. <laughs> so if you have seen the films or you are watching them off the back of this, please get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you think we're on the right track or there's certainly stuff that we haven't discussed from the three films. There's all sorts of subplots and things that we basically just don't have time for. So I don't mean that in a harsh way. It's just obviously there's limitations in the time of actually being able to speak about this. So if you do, please get in touch with us. We are on various social media channels, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Movie Scramble. And you can also get in touch with us by email on podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. 
www.godtodayspodcast.co.uk. Again, if you like what we do, drop it, even if it's not got to do with Resident Evil or anything else that we discuss, just get in touch. We are always open to have something new to talk about on the, the podcast and new things to review. If you do have recommendations, please file them our way. We are more than happy to take something on board. And Okay, if there's nothing else, if you have nothing else, Thomas, we will just say cheerio. Yeah, indeed. See you and, uh, See you guys.